there. That would have been bad. You would have heard everything I was whispering to Leslie. That's interesting. But hey, can you get your sermon notes out and uh, your little spoons that you received when you came in? Get those out. Get your Bibles out. There's a pen right in front of you to take notes, but uh, I do encourage you to be here next Saturday morning with the men. I'm bringing my teenage boys. Invite somebody out with you. It'll be a life-changing event, and uh, it's going to be really, really good, men. So you want to be a part of that. And uh, we want to receive from the Lord today before we have lunch, and we want everybody to stay. Some people have mentioned they didn't bring anything. Don't worry about it. There is so much food in there, it's not even funny. The first few bowls I saw would have fed the entire church. So we're going to have more than enough. So we want everybody to come to lunch and, and, and do that. But just before we, we head out to lunch, let's just spend a little time in God's Word. Let's draw near to Him and, and uh, see what He has to say to us. We are kind of in those final days of summer. It's about to turn on the calendar to the fall, and so we are going to finish our summer series, which is Life Verse. And we've been talking about Life Verses from kind of the beginning of summer on. And those are verses or passages from the Bible that just speak to our hearts, to our lives, as though God was speaking to us. And we've had a great number of people come up and share the Life Verse from our staff, and I've been able to share a number of Life Verses with you. And you can go back and listen to any of those online. But I began the sermon series with my Life Verse, 1 Thessalonians 5. 16 through 18. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This is where we all began, and and that may not be your life verse, but that's my life verse that God gave me, to always be joyful, to never stop praying, and to always be thankful. And I shared how that has been a big part of my life through some of the most uh, fearful, anxious, difficult moments of my life. I've struggled with a lot of different things over the years, but that has reminded me how important it is because if we just go by our natural feelings or by this world, we're going to be sad, we're going to worry, we're going to complain, and God says that's not any way to live. You're called to be joyful. You're called to, to, to pray, to be close to me. You're called to be thankful. That's God's will for your life. And so I shared that with you, and then I shared my life verse as a dad, as being a parent, what is my life versus Proverbs 17, 6? Parents are the pride of their children. We want to raise our children to know God, and we want God to be proud of us as parents, but the bottom line is the Bible says, I want my children to be proud of me. I want them to be proud that I'm their dad. I want to raise them in that kind of way, and I shared my life and, and how to raise our children to be proud of us. And then last week I shared a verse from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 that has been my life verse for work ever since I was a teenager comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We're to, to do everything, say everything for God, for His glory. And we give our lives in, in service to Him. And so that's always been my life verse. Just in everything I say, everything I do to bring glory to God. And today I want to talk to you about something that you do more than anything else in your life, and that's work. And when I I realize that this is a very sensitive topic to talk about, because there are some of us that love our jobs. We love getting up in the morning. We love where we go. It It is a thrill. It is an honor. It is a privilege. And we feel like we're accomplishing something. I have to be quite honest with you. I love my job. Thank you for letting me have this job. I love it. And, and I know there's people that, that love their jobs. They feel called to their jobs, and, and that's a good thing. But I also know that there's a lot of people who hate their jobs. 
They dread getting up in the morning. They dread going to the office. They don't like anything about their work. The only reason is for the paycheck, and, and they're just struggling even to get that. And they can't stand where they're at. And I realize that that is a, a lot of people out there. They just can't stand their work. There's others that are just thankful to have a job. They're just like, well, at least I got something. I know it's not maybe what I really want, but at least I got something. Thank you, God, for that. And then there's others that you're praying for a job. You've been out of work for a while, and it's a struggle, and you would do anything. You'd give anything to have a job. And so I realize as we talk about this, I'm talking to a wide variety here today, but I want to talk about what God says about our work. Because one of our missions as a church is to connect people to their calling, and you have a calling. You have something you're called to do, to go and to be a light. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. That same idea, whether word or deed, whatever, do it all for the glory of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord, from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whatever you do, you're doing it for him. And we don't work for man. We work for God. You work for God. You say, well, Daryl, you work for God because you're a pastor. Yes, but you work for God as well. You don't work for man. You work for God. You serve him. You will spend 40% of your life at work. 40% of your life. Almost 100,000 hours of your life will be spent at work. The only thing in life that you will do more than work is sleep. Okay, so I know that's a little depressing here as we begin this sermon. You're like, oh dear God, I didn't come to church for this. But don't you think that there's a purpose for that in your life? I mean, if you're going to spend that much time at work, shouldn't we find out what God says about work? I mean, when you think about it, shouldn't we realize that God has a purpose for us? If we're going to be there a lot, shouldn't we find out what God has? Because a lot of us hide out from God at work. That's kind of a place where you don't think about God, but I want to tell you there's no place where you can hide out from God. There's no place that he's absent. It says in Psalm 139.7, where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I go to get away from your presence or escape your presence? You can't go anywhere. God's with you at work, so he must have something for you to do. So I'm going to give you a question, but it's also a prayer, and I'm going to ask you just to put your hands out. And I want you to do this. I want you to say, God, what do you want me to do with these hands? That's what we're going to talk about today, that question, that prayer. God, what do you want me to do with my life? Our culture has two views of work. One is this one side of overwork. You idolize work. That's what you do. That's who you are. It's your identity. You will give everything for your job. Your job is so important, and you're, you, you, know, you are making a difference in the world, and so it doesn't matter how hard you have to work or what you have to sacrifice, you are going to work. That's the idol in your life. I'll just call it overwork. That's one side. That's one way our culture views work, that there's nothing more important than your job, than getting ahead and making that paycheck. And then there's this other side, which is what I'll call the cynical side of work, that it's petty and that it's meaningless and that it's futile and it doesn't really matter. And, in, and it's like your life is a bad episode of The Office, you know. It's just like, it's like, it's just, it's just crazy. Why am I even here? Why am I even doing this? And, and we have these views of work and we fall on the continuum somewhere. But I want to look at what God says about work. And let's do that today. Let's not look at the work from the world's perspective. 
but from God's perspective. And so we have to go back to the very beginning because God places work in our life from the very beginning. We go back to creation, and a lot of times when we go back there, we immediately go to Genesis chapter 3, where it's after the fall, and God says work will be hard, it will be difficult. There will be tears, he says. There will be thistles, there will be thorns, there will be problems. You will work very hard and achieve very little. And so we think work is part of the curse. It's part of the fall. God made work this way for us. And no, the reality is that work actually started in Genesis 1 and 2. That God placed Adam in the garden and he gave him work to do, to name the animals, to tend the garden. That's the very first thing of work. That was the first mandate for work. Can you believe, just wrap your mind around this, that God placed us here to make his creation better. And it was good. I mean, think about that. He said, Abraham, Adam, both start with A, I don't know what I was thinking, but Adam, go name the animals, go tend the garden, go go make it better, Adam, go and do that. Did you know that work comes before marriage in the Bible? It's after that that the, the, the partner comes and And they are together creating the culture of the garden. And so God was going to make you work no matter what. In a perfect world, you say, in a perfect world, there'd be no work. No. In a perfect world, there was work. It was different, but there was still work. And so somewhere in the first centuries of Christianity, in the early church, some of the early church fathers began to have a a kind of a mixed-up view of work. And so they said, There was a perfect calling and a permitted calling. And the perfect calling was for those that worked for God. The priests, the ministers, those that, the bishops, those people had the perfect calling. And everybody else just had this permitted calling. Really the only vocation or true vocation in life is to serve the Lord. And that was a man-made thing. And the reformers come along a little bit later in the Reformation and they see the value of all the callings and all the vocations And they say this distinction between the sacred and the secular, that is something man-made. There's no distinction like that in Scripture. In fact, Scripture tells us nothing but that we are to do honest, hard work. And in that honest, hard work, we do it for the glory of God. That God in His Word says that we are called to serve with our hands and to do it for the Lord. There's a book I, I read once a year. It's called Practice the Presence of God. It's written by Brother Lawrence in the 1600s. He's a monk that entered the monastery, but he wasn't the best. He wasn't the brightest. And so instead of doing the ministry or the spiritual things, they kind of pushed him to the side. And he ended up spending his life in the kitchen of the monastery, cooking for them, washing the dishes, mending the clothes. And he kept a diary, which became the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And he talked about how each ditch, dish and each stitch that he made, that, that it was all done for the glory of God, that God had placed them there for that reason and that purpose. And, and even though it was mundane and even though it was ordinary, that God had that call in his life to, to be the one that served the others. And what I find interesting is that centuries later, I'm not reading books by the best and the brightest of that monastery. I'm reading the book that was written by the one that cooked the meals and washed the dishes and mended the clothes. Because whatever we do for the glory of God, God uses in a powerful way. The Puritans took this a little farther and they said every Christian has three levels of calling and perhaps you've heard of the Protestant work ethic, but here is their levels of calling. The highest calling is to Christ himself. 
that that relationship with God and developing that relationship with God and working for God is the most important. The second is the common callings that apply to all Christians all the time. Those are your standing orders in God, no matter the circumstances. And again, my life verse is kind of that, the will of God for you. What is it? Be joyful. Pray always. Be thankful. That's, those are things that we all have to do. We're all called to do. We come to church to, to embrace those first two, to, to, to love God, to follow Him, to be close to Him, and to, to learn about those common callings that we all have. And then the third level of calling is a special calling to unique gifts that you were created for, that only you can do, that I really mean only you. No one else can take your place in line, that God has given you something, placed you somewhere, given you a gift that only you have. He's given it to you. It comes from God, not from man. He gives you the gift. He gives you the grace. And He places you where He wants you. And your gift is not for yourself. It's actually meant for others. And I want to talk to you about that gift that you have today. And I'm going to read some scriptures, and they're going to go quickly. So you're probably going to want to write them down. But the first one is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every good resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace there is actually the word gift, according to the gift of our God. He's going to make you worthy of your calling. He's going to give you the gifts that you need, and so this is really important. Maybe you're a dad, and you didn't have a dad growing up, or you didn't have a good dad growing up, and, and you're like, now I'm a dad. How, how, I, I, can't, I can't be a good dad. No, the Bible says... God will make you worthy of your calling. He's going to equip you. I'm a mom. I didn't have a good mom. I don't know how to be a good mom to my kids. He will make you worthy of your calling. I got this job, and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm not, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have what it takes. He will make you worthy of your calling. Wherever God places you, whatever he's put you in, that only you can do. He will make you worthy of that calling. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. This is what separates followers from those that don't acknowledge Jesus. This is what separates the believers from the unbelievers as we realize that God gives us our gifts and our abilities. We realize that we are not that special that he has made us special, that we belong to him, and he's given us certain gifts and certain talents and certain abilities. We wouldn't have anything without him. And so we recognize that he's the one that gives us the gifts and the callings and the abilities. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Maybe your translation says without repentance. God gives you a gift. He gives you a calling. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't go away. Even if you don't serve him, you still have that gift. He's given you something that only you have, and he wants you to use it for his glory. He created it for him. He created it for others. He wants you to use it for his glory. So let me give you some don'ts, some things you shouldn't do with your gifts. Here's the first thing. Don't argue. These aren't going to be on the screen. I'm just going to give you these. Don't argue with God about your gifts. Don't argue with God about your callings. We like to do that, don't we? 
Oh man, if I had that person's job or that person's wealth or if I had that, that gift or that, boy, I wish I had that. Don't argue with God. He gave it to you. He is good. And he knows best. So don't argue with God. Next, don't complain about your calling. Don't complain about what you do. You say, well, what I do, it's so mundane. Listen, mundane does not mean that it's meaningless. It's it's so ordinary. Everything I do, it's just, every day is just so ordinary. Ordinary doesn't mean trivial. You may have a a, a life that is very ordinary, and, and to be honest with you, all of us do. But I want to tell you that you are part of something much bigger. And you may not see it, but what you're doing is important. It's important in your home. It's important where you go to work. What you do, what you offer, and especially when you do it unto the Lord, it really does matter. You are part of something bigger, even when you don't feel like it. So don't complain. Do it as unto the Lord. Don't brag about your calling. It's not yours. God gave it to you. Don't find your identity in your calling, and pastors are probably the, the worst at this, but, but we shouldn't find our identity in work. We shouldn't find our, 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 our satisfaction in, in who we are and who God creates. We should find our satisfaction in God alone and realize that he's the one that gave us the gift. It's not about us. It's about him and serving him. Next is don't confuse your calling with your job. When I talk about that and I, and I mention the word job, I'm going to talk about something you get paid for. Sometimes we think our gifts and our callings have to be how we get paid in life. And listen, there's a lot of times we work and we don't get paid. If you're called to be a mom or dad, not only will you not get paid, that's the most expensive job you will ever have. There are some gifts and callings that that's just, that's what you do. That's what you're called to do. And it may not bring in any money. I know a lot of gifted artists and musicians that, that they don't pay the bills with that, yet they still honor God with their gifts and their callings. They have another way to pay the bills, but, but there's other ways. Or, or people that I know, they're great athletes, but they're, they're not going to make money in the professional sports, but yet that's still a gift in their life. See, there are, there are gifts and callings, but it may not necessarily be your job. But we use it all for the glory of God. Finally, don't impose your calling on someone else. Don't impose your calling on someone else. A lot of times we are very good at telling other people what their calling should be, especially when they live in our home. We're very good at saying, well, I think you, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And we think everybody should be doing what we tell them they should be doing. And we, we just try to impose gifts and callings. That's God's job. John chapter 21, Jesus is about to ascend. One of his last moments with the disciples on the earth. And Peter has... Uh, deny Jesus, and, and now it's after the resurrection, it's before the ascension, and Jesus is having breakfast with his disciples on the beach, and Peter's there. It's a powerful moment as he says, Peter, do you love me three times? And they restore him. And then at the end of chapter 21, a story that we often skip over, is, is Jesus says, Peter, there's coming a day where they will bind your hands and your feet, and they will take you where you don't want to go. And John tells us in his gospel that he's telling Peter there that, Peter, you're going to die for me. You're going to be a martyr for me. And it's very clear in in John chapter 21. Peter had said, I'll die for you, Lord. Oh, I'll die. And he denied Jesus. And Jesus says, well, tell you what, Peter, yes, someday you you will die for me if you follow me. 
And Peter gets this revelation from Jesus that he's going to die for him and immediately turns around and says, what, what about John? What about John? What does John have to go through? I love what Jesus says. He says, don't worry about John. If I want John to live forever, I can do that. Don't worry about John. What does he say to Peter? You follow me. You follow me. Don't worry. And trust me, John did not have a, a, an easy go of it. But here's the thing. A lot of times we think, well, look at all that I'm doing. Look at all that I'm sacrificing. Look at all. They should be doing this and they should be doing that. God says, don't worry about them. I'll take care of them. You follow me. You follow me. Well, well, this person at work, they say they're a Christian, so they should be... Don't worry about them. You follow me. You follow me. Everybody wants to have meaning in life. A survey was done, and 75%, or three out of four people, want their life to have more meaning. It's three out of four people want to have more meaning in life. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus invites us into a life full of meaning. And he says, I want to work with you. I want your life to be in tune with my life. Now, what did Jesus do when he came to earth? Jesus was the great redeemer. He was the one that can can take ashes and give beauty. Take death and give life. He's the one that could give hope. He's the one that could do anything. Jesus is the great redeemer. And he says, I want you to be like me to this world. The church is the body of Christ. Christ has ascended with all power and authority. And he's given his body, the church, you and me, to this world. He says, I want you to take my place in this world. And to be quite honest with you, most people will never come that you know that you work with, will never walk through the doors of this church. And you may be the only Jesus they ever see. And so he says, I want to invite you in to this partnership with me. And that when you go into work, you change the atmosphere of work before it changes you. That you do what I would do if I was there. What if Jesus took your place? What if he took my place as a husband or a pastor or a friend? What if Jesus took your place in this world? How would he do your life differently? See, when Jesus walked this earth, hell crumbled beneath his feet. The devil was, had to flee wherever Jesus went. And when he went around and he would heal somebody, you know what Jesus was saying? He was saying to that person, you weren't meant to be this way. I didn't, it wasn't meant to be this way. We were, you weren't meant to be sick. You weren't meant to be hungry. You weren't meant to be scared. You weren't meant to be hopeless. And he would go around, and wherever his feet went, hell crumbled. Wherever he went, he established the kingdom of heaven. He brought heaven to earth wherever he went, and he gave a taste of heaven on earth. I love ice cream. How many with me here? How many wish it wasn't soup and salad, but it was just a bunch of ice cream in the gym right now? I I love ice cream. I love going to ice cream stores. I love having all the flavors right there in front of me. I love seeing them all. And then you go to a certain store that maybe you don't know all the flavors, and there's a flavor that sounds really good, and it looks really good, but you're like, I'm not sure. I want to taste it. And so they give you a little spoon. 
The problem with me is when I taste it from the little spoon, this is usually my response. I want the biggest one you got. I want the biggest size you sell. I want, can you make that into a milkshake? Because I'll take that too. You know, I want it. I believe, and you have your spoons, I believe that God has called us to be a taste of heaven here on earth. That we're to give people a taste of who Jesus is. See, a lot of times we think we've got to preach the gospel. We've got to lay out the whole plan of salvation. We've got to, we've got to let them know all the things before they come in. And, and Jesus says, would you just give them a taste? Don't make the Sunday. Just give them a taste. And I believe that's important in the world in which we live because we live in a world of 31 flavors, don't we? Bunch of different philosophies, bunch of different religions. Listen, we're not selling just one of the flavors. We are selling the life, abundant, the life you were created for, the life of God. And I believe, and, and they can reject the taste if they don't want it, but that's your job, to give them a taste of who Jesus is, a taste of heaven. And, and when we go today, you'll get much bigger spoons for the soup and salad, but I want you to take this with you. And I want you to put it on your desk or on your counter or in your car or carry it in your pocket or in your briefcase. And when you see it, that it would remind you every day that you are called to give this world a taste of Jesus, a taste of heaven. That whether you work at home or you work in an office or you work on a job site, that you will bring Christ with you when you come. Because to be honest with you, he's already there. He's just waiting for you to show up. He wants you to be in tune with Him and what He's doing in everyone's life. He wants you to speak words of peace, words of grace, and words of life. He wants you to be Him, to be Christ-like there. And I believe that when we go with that attitude, that He makes us more Christ-like while we're there. We're called to make where we go holy, and I believe that as we do that, He makes us holy. We're to walk in faith. We come to church and we are equipped with the Word of God and then we go out and we live it wherever we work. We do it under the power of the Holy Spirit because we can't do it on our own. We can't take our little spoons and say, I'm going to try really hard. We go in the power of the Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We go in the power of the Spirit. I'd like you to write down three questions that you need to answer, and then we'll pray, but these three questions are extremely important, and I want to take time with each one. The first question you have to ask, is my life full of activities or accomplishments? Is my life full of activities or accomplishments? We are very busy people. We have very full to-do lists i got to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to check this off and that off. And, and along with working this week, Leslie was traveling with a friend, and so I had all three boys in three different sports and work and school and life, and I'm running them around all the time. And, and Leslie did a great job of giving me a, a to-do list as she left, just, just a lot of things to do. And, and just, okay, i got to take the kids here, and i got to take the kids there, and i got to drive. And it could have been very easily just something that we just start checking off, just different activities that we do. 
But I made a point when I saw that, and I noticed there were certain times where I'd be with just one of the boys by myself in the car for an extended period of time, and I knew that that was a special moment with them to talk about school, life, sports, something, and to connect with them, to ask questions, to hear their heart. And so that it was an activity, but I wanted to accomplish something during that activity. See, I believe that when we, when we turn our activities into accomplishments, they become much more effective. That, that they have a deeper impact. And so instead of just looking at our busy lives, man, we have so much to do, why don't we turn some of our activities into accomplishments and let God be at work in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of the things that we just have to do because that's what we have to do for work or that's what we have to do for home, but that we would make our life full of accomplishments. The next question is, is what I'm doing in life moving me toward planning and prayer? Is what I'm doing in life moving me toward planning and prayer? Do I have God-sized goals in my life? If your life is mundane, if your life is ordinary, it's probably because you're doing what you can do in your own strength. Do you have this idea that God wants to do something bigger with my life? That even in the mundane, even in the ordinary, wherever I'm at, that God might have something bigger for me. And that's when I work like it depended on me and I pray like it depended on on God. And I just want to tell you that the power of God is no excuse for the lack of preparation or the lack of hard work. Just because you have the power of God at work in your life doesn't mean that, well, you can just now slough off. No, we still work hard. We find tremendous peace, tremendous security knowing that God is bigger than our greatest success and our worst failures. That's great to know that God's much bigger whether we succeed or whether we fail. But at the same time, we should honor God by putting our blood, sweat, and tears into everything our hand finds to do. Not because our hope and faith are in these things, but because we do all, everything we do, say and do, we do it for the glory of God. And listen to me, God's worth your hard work. God is worth your hard work. God's worth you planning and praying. God is worth you saying, I'm going to, make a, I'm going to do these things unto you, God, for, for your accomplishment, for your glory. And the final question is the question we started with. And you can write it down, but as soon as you write it down, would you put out your hands and say, God, what do you want to do with these hands? That every day that would become our prayer. What do you want to do with my life, God? I'm just an ordinary dad. I just go to work every day. I, I just stay at home with the kids. I, I, just, I, just, I just do this. I just do that. I volunteer here. I do this. But God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do through me? Would you bow your heads and your hearts and just keep your hands open to God? And I'm going to pray with you for a moment. And then we're going to go back into a, a time of worship today where we can worship God with our life. But with your hands open, I'm going to tell you right now, there is something that only you can do. No one can take your place in your family. No one can take your place in your community. No one can take your place at school or at work. You're special. God created you that way. He's given you a unique gift, a unique calling. And God wants to use that for his glory, 
And I'm sure that all of us here want to live for His glory. Because as we live for His glory, that's what we were created to do, and it's a beautiful thing. And so instead of getting so busy and so caught up or thinking God doesn't really care about that part of my life, we need to say, God, what do you want to do with these hands? What do you want to do with these hands? Lord, right now we're just going to spend some quiet moments with you. And, and Holy Spirit, I know you're going to speak. And perhaps you're going to give a thought or you're going to put a person's name or an activity into our mind as we pray that this week is something that we're going to do as unto you. And Holy Spirit, I'm going to, we're going to allow you to do that in just a moment. But before that, we just offer our hands to you. Lord, when you created us, you created us for work. And Lord, I know the work is hard since the fall. But yet you called us. You mandated us to work. And so Lord, we offer ourselves to you. Wherever we work, throughout the day. Lord, we say, what do you want to do with these hands? What do you want to do with this life? What do you want to do with these moments? Holy Spirit, speak to us now for a few moments and tell us what you'd have us do. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us. And God, we offer ourselves to you. Would you stand this morning and make this final song your prayer to the Lord? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful. Thee. 
Take my voice and let me sing. Home is only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from Thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite with I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as you choose. everybody said? Amen. 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 That's your prayer to God. Take my life. And I know that this week is going to be different for you than, than the average week because you are now committed to do all for the glory of God. Everything you say, everything you do. And keep your spoon near you so you can remember the taste of heaven. Taste of heaven. You don't have to give everything. Just a taste of heaven. And I believe when people taste the grace, the love, the power of God, um, they'll want it all. They'll want it all. If um, just a couple things as we go this morning, uh, maybe you're not following Jesus or 
or you want to and you just haven't been or, or maybe you want to come home and just I'm going to encourage you just to take that first step we have a, a gift for you down front and and this is basically a Bible and some prayers and some different things just to start your following Jesus and I want to tell you you just keep coming back week after week we'll keep talking about Jesus and following him what he means in our life and you won't want to miss next weekend it's going to be really really powerful but but I just encourage you if you want it it's free just come down and take that uh, it's there for everyone also, um, I believe that as we move into the fall, God's really got something big for us. And you heard a little bit about the small groups, but the sermon series is going to be called Sons and Daughters. And it's basically about helping spiritual orphans find their way home. And you may say, well, I'm not a spiritual orphan. I want to tell you, there's so many people that are trying to work and earn the love of God when you've already been adopted by Him. And He already loves you as a son or as a daughter. And there's something powerful about embracing that, embracing the love of the Father. And we're going to be talking about that this fall. We're going to have small groups for that. And you can sign up to lead it or be a part of one. But I'm just going to encourage you this fall that you embrace your identity in Christ and that you really grab hold of that. There's devotionables in the lobby that you can grab as you go. If you need prayer today, I'm going to be down to pray with you because you should never leave with the same burden you came in with. And maybe you're going through something this week where you just need special prayer. We'll be down front to pray for you. But before you receive the blessing, I'd love everyone, and I mean everyone, to come to lunch. Join us for lunch. Even if you didn't bring anything, we got plenty of food. Don't worry about that. Come to lunch. And if we've never met, I want to meet you. So I'm going to try and walk around and say hi to everybody. But if I don't get there, would you come to me? Because I'd love to meet you and just greet you. And again, we're glad that you're here. And if you are here for the first time, we do have a special gift for you out there in the lobby. But let's receive the blessing of the Lord as we go. And we go with this calling upon us. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you for that blessing that rests upon each one of us as your child. And Lord, we're called to share that blessing now with the world. And so Lord, today we just are going to leave this place and Lord, we are going to do everything for your glory. And God, whether it be at home, at work, at school, wherever we're at, God, Lord, we're going to live for you. Lord, just as you've given us a taste of yourself today, we're going to give a taste of heaven to everyone we meet. Lord, thank you that you've provided food for us today. And uh, Lord, thank you that we can just draw close together around the table. And uh, Lord, thank you for what you've done here today. Keep us safe and strong until we can gather together again as a church and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you at lunch. Take my life and let